Welcome to Catch a Release, a podcast project undertaken by more than 100 English 12 students from Sir Winston Churchill Secondary in Vancouver, BC. In these episodes, you'll be hearing about their memories, big moments from their lives, their regrets, and their dealings with mental health. We hope that after catching these stories, you find a way to release what's holding you back. Thank you for listening. today i'm fine jennifer how are you i'm good right on so i've known you for a really long time mm-hmm. just like five years you mm-hmm. say and i've only known you more on like the teacher student side yeah and i wanted to get to know you more personally so could you tell me about yourself um well as a kid i had like i had four siblings right so three older brothers and a younger sister so I grew up in a home that was always full of activity and things going on and so my aspirations were kind of always sort of part of this larger group for a long time. I actually didn't live in, in a space by myself until I was uh, like 25. Roommates or I always had family around so um, it took a while for me to kind of get out from under that sort of blanket. Not that it was a smothering blanket, it was awesome but it was a sort of, it was always around was always part of my life. Family is a big part of who I am, for sure. We all get along really well. It's awesome. My aspirations. Really wanna, I thought I thought for a long time I was going to work overseas in international development. That was sort of the plan I had, to sort of work for the UN or some kind of NGO. What inspired you to want to go in that route? Uh, I took a course in... Well, my, my dad was always kind of a political guy. My parents lived in Nigeria and Jamaica before I was born. Actually, no, they lived in Nigeria before I was born, and then I lived in Jamaica when I was a kid. And my dad had always worked, had an interest in, worked in overseas development as part of his job as a minister, like I said, Presbyterian minister, within the Presbyterian church. So I had a lot of exposure to the third world. And uh, I took a course on third world history when I was at Queen's, and it kind of just inspired me to think about kind of grassroots development and and kind of getting involved in helping people. Uh, So that's what I was always sort of planning on doing, but then I kind of realized that they didn't actually need a white guy to go out there. (laughs) They didn't didn't really need uh, that whole whole white guy thing, so I just thought I'd stay here and 
sort of devote my energies to doing something else. We're doing the same kind of thing here, but different. Yeah. So you're saying how your dad, his jobs and how you see him, like, influenced you? Mm-hmm. So are you still in contact with your family? Are you yeah. really oh, yeah. close? My family and I are really close. My dad just died in May. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm so sorry. Um, so uh, we went to... That, that was really interesting for me. Interesting for my son, too. So, yeah, my family is really close. We see each other every year. Lots. Talk lots. We're all five of us. are still pretty mm-hmm. close. We get together. How did you cope with that? Was it a hard time? Uh, we knew he had been declining for a while. So, like, he developed a kind of fast-acting kind of Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. So, we knew that we'd known for over a year or so that he was declining. But he was, he was going to go there. So, it was kind of, it was nice that it was actually relatively quick. Going back to you living in Jamaica, mm-hmm. how, how would you say living in a foreign country influenced you and how you are now? Well, just understanding that there's a different way of being, right? Yeah. Different way of interacting. School was different. You know, the kinds of things that everybody did around the hood were different. You know, and then since coming back, all the contacts that we still had there and our relationships with them. And like my mom stayed in contact with the, the kind of maid we had all throughout her life and then when she died she, my mom stayed in contact with her daughter and so just finding out what they were doing and how they were living and stuff like that and just but it also informed like my parents experience in Nigeria is the same thing I just was very conscious of traditions that were non-western mm-hmm. and people who were did you feel Jamaica was your home like for me when my mom takes me to Vietnam I feel it's just a vacation it's not mm-hmm. I'm going home and visiting family and being mm-hmm. like this is where I belong. For me, Vancouver's my home. If she ever thinks that we're gonna move somewhere, I'm like, no, this is my home. Yeah. So is Jamaica like that for you, or? Yeah, because when I was in Jamaica, I was still pretty, I was from two to six, so mm-hmm. I was still pretty protected and still very much within the family unit kind of thing. Like I went to school, I went to the same elementary school as Harry Belafonte. You guys don't know who Harry Belafonte is, but. Sounds familiar, He's a singer. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I went to, this, you know, public elementary school in Kingston. But I wasn't there long enough to really start building a whole bunch of friends. Yeah. Actually, my brother just posted this great class photo from when he was, he would have been in grade two or three or something like that. And it's great because everybody's, it's the whole photo and he's right at the end of the photo. Yeah. And uh, like, and he's the only white dude in the photo. So it's, it's like, and he's got skinny, skinny, skinny little legs. <laughs> And so he was joking about his legs, and it's just like, well, it's not hard to see them. <laughs> so, but that was that was kind of like that's what you know that's so Jamaica kind of gave all of us that sort of experience of just mm-hmm. being around difference and being comfortable with difference. Yeah. So you were saying how in Jamaica your family was like the odd one out, right? Yeah. So were you discriminated for that? I don't remember that at all. No, I remember no. playing marbles with. Everybody else, yeah. You know, I don't remember anybody saying I'm not gonna play marbles. I, I don't remember feeling, but I'm kind of oblivious to that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Are you happy with where you are right now? Have you ever doubted how you got here, why you're here? I never doubted why I'm here because it all made sense. Like it, it was all sort of very organic how I ended up here, and I'm happy here. And in terms of my overall life and everything that's going on, it's pretty. I can't complain. It's all pretty good. Great partner and a fantastic kid, and I work at a job I really enjoy in a city that's really beautiful. 
I got, yeah. I got friends and community around me that I really enjoy and like being with. My body's kind of holding up, <laughs> so I'm hurting all the time. Yeah. But that's okay. So, yeah, everything's pretty sweet. If you were in a parallel universe, what career or how would your life be? Like the best. It would be the same, scenario? but I would be trilingual and I'd know how to play the guitar. You could change that. You can learn guitar anytime. I can't actually. I hurt my, <laughs> I hurt my wrist, so I uh, can't actually play the guitar. What languages would you want to be learning? French, and then I don't know. I don't know which other one would be. But you, I'd like do to you like the romance try. languages, or do you like. Well, I kind of think that that's like. I, probably Spanish. Actually, no, it would be Spanish because my, my brother's married to a Mexican woman mm. and. and uh, and there's Spanish around the house. Like, yeah, it would be good to kind of know, mm. know that. And also, you know, Mexico's close. Do you regret becoming a counselor? Because a lot of people come to you and mm. spill air, all their darkest, deepest secrets to you. And that, of course, would affect you, right? Mm -hmm. So, would you regret doing that? No, because like this, it's the nature of the job. Like, I got into it knowing that that was going to be the case. And it's the part about and this is not in any this is like the reality of the job but it's not something i it's not something i don't like about the job in any way because yeah. people will be listening to this and i don't want to think that, that they're anyway i don't like this happening but i'm the keeper of people's secrets and i get to witness a lot of pain yeah right and so that's hard but at the same time it's it's important mm -hmm. and also you know i, I take great care to make sure that I do the things I need to do to not let that overwhelm me. Yeah. Right? So, you know, sleeping right, eating right, exercising, doing the things that I know uh, are going to help me recharge so that I have energy to be at work. You know, that's really what makes me be able to enjoy being here when I'm mm -hmm. here. And, and the other thing is like, this is going to sound kind of corny, but like, I genuinely like all of you people. Oh. Like you're all really kind of cool and interesting <laughs> to me. So it sounds, it sounds corny, but I like it's true. I genuinely like. So it's it's not bad part of being here because yeah. you're all people I enjoy being around. So, mm. you know. So you were saying how you like us. Has there ever been a student that inspired you, or changed you in some way? Oh yeah, lots. I can't. I don't want to get into specifics, but just people's resiliency right you know all kinds of different ways and all kinds of different uh, just their the human ability to, to overcome stuff is amazing to me and then but also just people who are just really creative and talented and say stuff and you're like oh that's a really interesting idea I hadn't really thought of that before like I learned like you know I learned so much for some old right all my friends are old like, we don't sit around and talk about stuff that you guys talk about but then you guys come and talk about that with me then I'm like oh okay so that's what that's a word that I now know how to use <laughs> properly, but then probably don't. It was really weird, like my son was, somebody came in and used a word in my office one day and I was like, oh, I never heard that word before. And then like Levi, my son used it like that night at dinner and I was like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cool, dad. Yeah, I know what that means. Um, <laughs> no, but that's, that's definitely the case, right? But that's, it's like you guys are gonna be the ones that uh, take over the world, right? Mm -hmm. So, and there's lots of hope. There's lots of hope in what I see in you guys. Has any of those students have you've seen them do amazing things and you actually took it into your own life and changed something about it? You know, there's so much stuff that I learn all the time. It's mm. hard for me to point to one thing that I've incorporated because like there's mm. tons of stuff, right? Like it's all kind of an organic process, right? I, I hear things and I 
incorporate them into who I, what's happening, or they think they've changed my behavior in subtle ways. I, I don't know. Hmm. So back to the topic of how a lot of students come to you and open up mm-hmm. about every single little thing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those students could be in a really bad position. Mm-hmm. Have you ever lost a student that has opened up to you and you c- couldn't help them in any way? Not lost in the sense that they've died. Knock on wood, that's not... Although I have had, in my first group of students, I had two deaths within that group. And one was a suicide, but it, it was a student that I had not met. So I didn't feel as though we had a connection and that I had lost them. It was still very, still very sad. And there was a lot of fallout from that that was really hard for the kids that were part of Burford's friends, obviously. Yeah. But in terms of kids that, that I've lost, like I keep a, in the top corner there's a piece of art by a in the top corner there, flower. Um, uh, I keep that there because I was a young woman that I kind of lost. I, I couldn't figure out how to keep her engaged and keep her, give her, I don't know, the support she needed to stay here and so she, she ended up leaving and then I, I'd heard that things had gone not so well for her. So. How do you cope with all this negative things that come to you? You know, I, I did based on my best intentions, right? Mm-hmm. And I keep that there to make sure that I remember the lessons I learned from it. Right? Because I can't go back and change what I did in the past. Yeah. Right? I know that I w- my intentions were all positive and I was trying to do the, what I felt was going to be helpful to her, but it didn't work. So now it's just about, okay, what did I learn from that? And how do I need to have my Make sure something doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. Would you say that event kind of influenced you to take care of more people? Well, I have regrets about what I, how I handled things, but I, I know that I handled them that way because I didn't know, like that felt like the best course or the right course. Right? I know now that I would do things differently and I would pursue other things more than the, what I did because I, I think in retrospect that took the wrong angle with her yeah um but i don't think that uh it's it's driven me to sort of approach my job differently it was just something that i need you know just part of the, part of the process of being human and learning mm-hmm. yeah. all your students come to you for support and advice did you do that as a kid did you have a counselor that you looked up to no no i don't remember there being a high school counselor in my school at all like I had a pretty difficult last year of high school, yeah. when I and I, when I would say I slipped into a depression, you know, which was, and it was pretty dark. Mm-hmm. I managed to kind of get myself out of that somehow, um, but it made me think a lot about just the fragility of the yeah. human mind and the respect for that. How did you cope with the depression, and who did you have someone that you confided in? Nope, I just kind of laid there in bed and thought a lot, oh. tried to figure yeah. it out, right? That's why when you guys were in grade eight, you probably don't remember, but like I make a point of, I go to PE classes and I sit there and I watch what's going on. I talk to the PE teachers and get feedback from them. And then I go and maybe I play a little bit. Because, you know, a big part of how I approach this job is to try to be known to everyone, mm. right? And then try to create the kind of vibe where people feel comfortable coming and talking to me right mm-hmm. now 
I know that that's not always that's not not always successful in doing that, but that's my intention. Right? And uh, every every time I keep on trying to tweak it and figure out how the best way to kind of make it work work better. But that way, that if there is that person who's sort of sitting there and getting into that going into that spot, that they know that there's someone who's around who can listen. Yeah. You know, whether or not they know me or like me, but there's at least someone around. That knows. So your lack of support mm-hmm. if you could say that do you think that pushed you towards the, the idea of becoming counselor yeah, I, ne- I never made that connection nope. before but mm-hmm. maybe I don't really I don't I didn't remember thinking that when it was happening mm-hmm. it was all kind of just kind of organic becoming a counselor because I I'd worked as a teacher in alternative programs and I was talking to a principal about wanting to move for the job where I was and I was just just talking about how what I really valued about where I was presently working was the relationships that I had with the students that it wasn't necessarily the teaching and mm-hmm. she said well maybe you should look into being a counselor instead of a teacher. So if you wouldn't mind um, telling me what was that alternative mm-hmm. teacher job that you had? So it was a job uh, at a program called Hamber House, it's not called that anymore. It was a, a day treatment program for teenagers with mental health issues. So I was the teacher uh, and I had like classroom support uh, with the kids, those 15 kids, and then we had a whole rack of uh, mental health staff. So we had a psychologist, a psychiatrist, an occupational therapist, a mm-hmm. social worker. So there's lots of support. That's good. Um, and there would be teenagers that were either coming out of the hospital and they felt they needed some sort of transition program before they went back to a regular school. Or there were students who were, who were not attending or were experiencing some kind of mental health crisis in the neighborhood, but they were stable enough to be in a school program and out of the hospital. To wrap the interview up, mm-hmm. what advice would you give to people who are or who have struggled with mental illness and what they could do? Biggest thing, and this is a message that's there all the time, is that the worst thing you can do when you're suffering from some sort of mental health issue is to try to keep it quiet, to feel the stigma around it, and to feel like there's something wrong with you, or feel like there's something, that, to feel any shame around it. Every single person who's gone through the recovery process will talk about how important it was to start talking mm-hmm. about things, right? And that's everything from people who are suffering from depression, to people who are bipolar, to people who are schizophrenic, to every different type of mental illness, it doesn't really matter what the illness is, is that by starting to talk about it, because the illness is in your head, Mm -hmm. part of your cognitive processes, and you can't be objective about your own head, right? Like you can look at your arm and see it's broken, Yeah. right? And know you gotta go to the hospital, but it's really hard to be objective about what's going on inside your own brain. So by talking about it and getting it all out there, it gives an opportunity for you to get perspective on what's happening for you and to get support and to no longer feel ashamed and to no longer feel like you should be doing all these things. You shouldn't feel this way. Um, This is nothing more important than making the circle of support as broad as possible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, oftentimes the first person that people talk to is me, but sometimes it's their parents and then their parents bring me into it and then we bring the counselor and another counselor into it. And so you get this big, big wraparound of support from your family, the professionals in your lives, and then the friends in your lives, and they're all there to support you. It doesn't mean you talk about your problems all the time, but it just means mm-hmm. you, there's all these people around you who, when you say to them, 
I'm having a bad day, they know what you mean and then can act accordingly and support you in a way that's going to help you. That's so vital to mental health. And the other thing I would say to people around mental health is that it's not like a cold. It mm. doesn't, it, it's part of who you are. It's not easy. You have to get the therapy, yeah. which sucks. Therapy sucks, right? Because it's hard, um, but it's so vital to really being, like having, working with like a trained professional, and more trained than me, Mm -hmm. Right to really dig into these things is so important because that's the road to recovery. It's by that's how you get there. Yeah, and it, it you just got to commit to it. And if you commit to it, like everybody that I've ever known that's really committed to it has had like fantastic outcomes. Last thing that I kind of mm -hmm. jumped over before getting to the end. Mm -hmm. Do you regret anything that you've done? And if you don't, how come? I don't like the only thing regrets I'd have would be the things that I've done that have hurt people. Mm -hmm. Right. And certainly there, there are those things. Those were part of the process of me growing up mm. and understanding what it meant to be an emotionally responsible person and an emotionally awake person. Those things are things that I regret, but they were things that, again, were sort of processes by which I learned. Yeah. Right. So, so that happened, and I, by, my actions caused hurt. What can I learn from that, those, that process to understand that how I don't hurt somebody else again? So that was a, the, the, honestly, when people, when you ask me about regret, the first thing that comes to mind, and this is really strange, but it's often the case when people ask me this question, is that at my grade, at my graduation ceremony, which we had in like our auditorium, yeah. um, I was trying to be all cool, and you know, we were, I was sitting with my friends, and there was this young woman walking across the stage at our formal, which had happened a couple of weeks before that. Mm -hmm. uh, she had, you know, she'd gotten to about 6.30. And then she was throwing up so violently she had to go home from drinking too much, right? And it was kind of a it was kind of a joke, like you know she didn't get to go home because she was so drunk. And so I like she was walking across the stage getting her diploma, and I like yelled out formal, right? Mm -hmm. And she looked and she was so hurt. Like she didn't see me, but she just looked at the audience, and I could tell she was so hurt by what that someone had mentioned that because she was obviously clearly very embarrassed and didn't want to be reminded at this point when she was walking across stage at the dance ceremony with her parents in the audience. I just felt terrible. Yeah. I was like, okay, that's the most terrible thing I'm, I've ever done. I'm never gonna do anything like that again. So um, that's the kind of stuff that I regret. But uh, luckily, that was the last time I did anything like that because yeah. luckily I learned from that. <laughs> last question. Yeah. If you could go back and tell your younger self something, either when that event happened mm -hmm. where that girl passed away or at the form at the grad ceremony mm -hmm. and yell formal, what would you say to yourself? Well those I wouldn't say necessarily anything about those particular examples because again, I, I was conscious of what I was doing at that mm -hmm. moment. Like I, I know oh well like I well not when I was you know formal but but in terms of the the, the student that I talked about. Um, I was conscious of what I was doing. I just wasn't. I didn't know enough yet, mm -hmm. right? Um, when I, when I think about going back to talking to my younger self, if I would be able to do so, I would really say just take more risks. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't travel like I wanted yeah. to, and I didn't kind of push uh, push myself in in terms of getting out of my comfort of my comfort zone as much as I hope I wish I had. Yeah. You know, like, you know, moving out to BC, and I, I did a bunch of different stuff, but um, I would say I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't take enough risks. 